On this episode of The Playbook, there's a lot at stake. That's right, Todd Simon, CEO and Chairman of Omaha Steaks, the premier high-quality steaks in America delivered directly to your door. I've been doing it personally and professionally for years, and we're going to talk about working with family, the downs and the ups of working with our family. Join me for all this and more on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host, David Meltzer. I am so excited because I am the fan of the CEO and chairman of Omaha Steaks. And of course, anyone that's tried an Omaha Steak or any of their products has to be a fan. Todd Simon, CEO and chairman of Omaha Steaks, Welcome to the playbook. Great to be with you. You know, Todd, it's so interesting because I have met some of your family over the years and through my corporate experience have utilized the incredible solution that has evolved over the years. But, you know, I've always wondered what it's like to work with my family. And, you know, I'm blessed. I had one of my brothers go to Wharton with you, uh, Brett Meltzer, and I've always been jealous because I've wanted him to work with me my entire career, and yet he, uh, probably from going to Wharton, realized that uh, I'm probably not the best person to work with, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous. But you know, you're talking about five generations, the early 1900s. You know, what's the number one challenge of working within the context of your family? Well, uh, that's an interesting question because I think it's. Um you know, it, there's two sides to it. You know, there's obviously the challenges, but there's also kind of the advantages. Um, and I think that if I could start there with the advantages, sure. um, I think one of the great opportunities for me, and I know um, my cousin uh, felt the same way, was the fact that we got to work with our dads and that our dads really mentored us and showed us the business and allowed us to really see the business through their eyes for a long time, because even before we got into the business, you know, full time as our career, you know, we were living the business as, uh, you know, as sons of the of the owners and as um, as uh, part time employees and summer jobs and hearing about it at the dinner table and you know seeing our grandfathers and and our uh, dads you know, talking to each other about the business at Thanksgiving dinner or whenever we got together. And so, you know, the business kind of infuses, there's, you know, talk about work-life boundaries, you know, I don't think there are any in a family business. And, but that also has its, you know, its positive uh, aspects because you just kind of learn by osmosis. And then when you really have the chance to have conversations, serious conversations about the business, you've already seen a lot of the stuff operating in the background. So that was a that was a real advantage. And you must have learned so many different lessons from, you know, grandparents to parents to you. Uh, but you went to one of the best business schools in the world. Uh, and, you know, we learn lessons at home and then we get into the intellectual academic side of things. What were some of the lessons that you learned through osmosis uh, that you sat in school and said, I'm, I'm voting for the osmosis side of the education more than the, the scholastic side of what I'm learning here in business school. And I, myself going to graduate school, you know, there's this great divergent between what I was being taught in school sometimes and what my grandfather and my father taught me about business as well. 
I think that one of the things that um, that happened, particularly as we grew our consumer business, was that even within an established business that already had one line of business, so we started out really as a food service company, and then we transitioned to being a direct-to-consumer company, um, is that we had to become an entrepreneurial business within an established business. And so the entrepreneurial spirit um, of the business that you know, when my dad started the catalog business, uh, following on some opportunities that my grandfather developed, um, you know, he really had to learn how to be an entrepreneur. And my uh, my concentration at Wharton was actually entrepreneurial management. So I came into the business, you know, with this entrepreneurial mindset. And one of the things that I learned at school was that one of the definitions of an entrepreneur or one of the characteristics of an entrepreneur is uh, the ability to um, make decisions, good decisions in the absence of complete information. And I think that you know when you're growing a business and you're and you're and you're in a very rapidly changing environment, you're never going to have complete information. So you have to be able to fight for an idea and be able to work with some people who might want more information than others within the family in order to make a decision. You have to sort of battle that out and say, you know, I'm comfortable with this. Um, you know, we've got to kind of take a leap of faith. And I think that's one of the characteristics that entrepreneurs you know really have is that ability to take a leap of faith with a vision. And being informed by as much information as you have, but knowing it's never going to be perfect. So at some point, you're just going to have to pull the trigger. And beyond entrepreneurship, one of the things I think people overlook in entrepreneurship itself is leadership. Uh, you know, it's a different type of leadership than, you know, we learn in the traditional sense of the bureaucratic, huge fortune 50 or 100 company uh, to be a leader. You know, I started my career out of law school with a very large company that got purchased by Thomson Reuters, you know, in the mid nineties for $3.4 billion. And I had a certain uh, perspective of leadership, uh, one which was polished and prepared and well-trained and, you know, planned. And yet, you know, the greatest insights that I've uh, learned as a leader have been from, you know, my face to the fire entrepreneurship. What are some of the leadership insights that you learned Number one, through growing up with such an entrepreneurial family, but then also combining that hyper-academic uh, experience that you had uh, with your business school. Well, you know, one of them I think is just is just knowing that um, you know we've always had a really flat organization, and so you know being able to look at ideas uh, no matter where they come from, and realizing that there's no one individual. Uh, who has a monopoly on ideas within the organization, but rather, you know, if somebody in the marketing department says, hey, I think we should, you know, we've got an, I got an idea for a new product or, you know, somebody in the production department says, you know, I think I've got a marketing idea that, you know, we were able to kind of, you know, sit around a table and be able to kind of vet those ideas and then be able to kind of pull the trigger quickly. So, you know, in the family business, you can imagine me and my cousin sitting around and him saying, you know, I just heard this idea this morning at a meeting and I'm like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. Um, you know, and, and, and then just and, and, and being able to put some resources behind it to test it and then and then sort of fail fast uh, or succeed quickly and then figure out how to ramp it up. Um, one, I'll tell you a, a quick story about that. My cousin Bruce and I were over at his house for dinner. I think his wife was out of town. So we were cooking some steaks. And back this was back when I, I hate to admit it, but we we occasionally smoked a cigar and he offered me a cigar. We were sitting outside cooking these delicious steaks. Uh, we made. And I said, these steaks are really good. What are they? And he said, well, I had the plant cut some extra aged um, 
steaks for us. Um, they were really well marbled. Uh, you know, they're just, they're really different than what we were, we were normally selling at the time. And I said, wow, we should sell these. And he said, do you know how much these would cost? Because they were, you know, very select, very small amount of beef. And, um, and I said, I said, yeah, they'd probably be expensive, but I think, I think, uh, you know, we, there's a group of customers that pay for these. And so, yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> my hand for those listening. <laughs> so out of that conversation, uh, was born our private reserve line, um, which has now become, you know, one of our best sellers and is, and just the business that we do in the private reserve line is more than many other mail order state companies do in their entire businesses. And so then that was really just born out of, you know, sitting around eating a great product and saying, I think we can up our game. I think we can sell this and then just going out and doing it. You know, one of the other things that you guys go out and do before anyone else, you were ahead of your time is to be able not only to deliver food from a catalog, but to maintain the quality, right? And I'm, I'm old enough, a few, just a few years younger than you, you know, one of the, you know, objections that people had or interferences that people had from mail order food was the quality just wasn't there. The idea was great. The marketing was great, which sometimes works against you because, you know, even Omaha Steaks has such amazing marketing that you're almost prepared to be disappointed uh, <laughs> when you get the quality. And I will tell you what made uh, Omaha Steaks wear well with me and the companies that I worked with and the corporate gifts that we gave and the home use of family it, is that it just didn't, didn't disappoint. It actually lived up to the marketing of what we were going to get, when we were going to get it and how it came prepared and how easy it was uh, to make us look good as foodies. You know, what type, you know, back then before it became commonplace to deliver food uh, of high quality, you know, how important and how difficult was that when you first started, uh, you know, out of school to be able to deliver such a high quality product? Well, you know, we've been doing it. So, uh, you know, so I joined the company in 1986. We've been shipping uh, steaks around the country since the mid 50s. So we'd already had 30 years of experience in doing it, but we continued to up our game and improve the reliability and the quality of our deliveries. Um, and, and one of the things that was always super important to us, and, and my dad realized early on when we first started um, the business or the mail order business was that in order to get people over the hump to actually buy it, um, we needed to offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee. And that became kind of the touchstone because not only was it you know, an amazing uh, uh, claim to make to our customers, hey, look, you're gonna be thrilled. If you're not thrilled, we're gonna give you your money back. It's as simple as that. Um, but it was also a rallying cry internally, it really motivated our team, both in the but producing the stakes and also shipping them um, that we knew that our customers always had the ability to put that product back to us. And we always had to make sure that the product uh, exceeded their expectations so that wouldn't happen. And so it really was a great motivator internally for us to say, we stand behind this, we put the name of the family behind it. And that was a way to get consumers over the hump. Um, and of course, since that time, you know, food delivery has become ubiquitous but absolutely not yet, not ubiquitous in the mid fifties and really not even ubiquitous in the mid nineties. So, um, you know, when the internet started to come along, you know, we were faced with another challenge of how to make sure that we're talking to that online customer and, um, and convincing them that taking a chance with Omaha Steaks was a good idea. Yeah. I use, uh, I do a lot of speeches to, you know, MBA schools and entrepreneurial schools, sports management schools, but I use Omaha Steaks in the story that I heard 
uh, about the best $800 a company could spend. And it was about a story that I heard from Omaha Steaks that somebody's freezer went out, no fault of yours at all. And either, you know, your cousin or your, your uncle or your dad, you know, refunded them all $800. And people were talking like, how, how can you afford to do this? And, you know, at that time, it was the best $800. Just the fact that I'm mentioning it here on the podcast, it's the best $800 you'll ever spend to have that 100% guarantee, be able to articulate quantitative value more than what you're asking for, and then actually stand by it. And I think it's a great marketing lesson uh, that Nordstrom's obviously picked up on, uh, but Omaha Steaks was the first story that I learned uh, through my education about the value of a customer and the value of your word and the quality of your product. <clears throat> Continuing on, obviously, un, uh, un, uh, announced to you and everyone else in the world, we have this pandemic, and I can't think of a better business <laughs> that was situated for the pandemic uh, than a company that, you know, since the 50s have been delivering food to your door with high quality. Uh, how did you navigate uh, the pandemic and uh, what types of things did, you know, uh, that occurred that I may not be thinking of that actually weren't uh, voting in your favor? Right. So we were um, humbled. Uh, and honored to be able to serve so many of our customers, you know, during the pandemic. Um, obviously, when 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 two things happened, you know, food supplies became scarce, and people were, you know, and many times required to stay home. Um, you know, that was obviously a a, a, a perfect place for us to be. Um, we also um, just it was really kind of a coincidence. We happened to have a fair amount of inventory on hand at that moment because. Um, you know, we basically manufacture as we buy, as we get opportunities to buy uh, uh, great raw materials. So, you know, we had we had good inventory as we went into uh, the end of March of, of last year. Um, so all of that combined to be, you know, very helpful and, and put us in a position to be there uh, for American families who you know, needed us at that moment. And one of the best ways we responded was to make uh, was to take the guesswork out of it and to give our customers what they wanted, which was a quick stock up of their freezer so that they just had one less thing to worry about. And I think taking that sort of mental overhead away from our customers, you know, is one of the things I'm most proud of uh, during the pandemic because, you know, people had so many things to think about, whether it's where are my kids going to school and how are my parents and maybe somebody's sick and, you know, and, and you know, you just, it was like, you know, a super stressful time. I mean, I, I, that's how I experienced it myself. And knowing that you didn't have to think about where, where you were going to get good protein because it was just going to arrive, uh, you know, you're going to go online or you're going to call us and it's just going to arrive and you're, and, and it would be there in your freezer the ultimate convenience. That was really, you know, we were happy about that. I'm super proud of our team. Um, you know, particularly all of our, all of the people who, all our master butchers who cut our steaks, who package our products, who ship them, you know, throughout the pandemic, um, you know, they were working, they're the heroes of the company uh, and the heroes of our customers because they were there on the front lines getting the job done. And I'm really proud of our of our safety team and our maintenance team who were able to put in place all the safety procedures, get us the PPE, get um, uh, COVID testing uh, set up for our team, uh, eventually doing even our vaccinations in-house. So doing everything we could to make sure that that our, our uh, employee family was safe so that we could provide for our customer family. Um, it, was, it was really an amazing moment uh, for the business to pull together around that. And um, 
and we definitely did see uh, a spike in, in business. Um, fortunately, as a business, we're used to ramping up seasonally for, uh, for the Christmas and holiday selling season. So that we already had a template for how to you know, ramp our business up. Um, normally we have about six months to prepare <laughs> for that ramp up. And in this case, we had you know, just days to prepare. So um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm proud of our team. And then our customers also bore with us. I mean, we were able to provide uh, an essential service to our customers. And um, you know, we did see initially because not only were we getting hit with a lot of shipments, but you know, Amazon and everybody else was too. So we saw the shipping um, you know, network back up a little bit and it was taking longer for, um, for stuff to deliver than we, what we normally um, uh, see, but we were able to communicate that to our customers and our customers were very, um, uh, they were willing to cut us some slack because we were providing them with an exceptional service, even though it was taking a little bit longer. So overall, I think it worked out really well. Um, and again, just really proud to be there for America at that moment. Yeah, and I think don't discount the value of, you know, being able to provide this normalcy of being able to have a, a high-end meal at home, right? It, it was, uh, to me, uh, what you have done for uh, everyone, your consumers in, in the country was provide a sense of normalcy uh, when a lot of people were scarce and scared. And I think that meant a lot. And it will, it will uh, post-pandemic, I think, uh, create a, a, a an energy of goodwill uh, and even more uh, of a love uh, for for your food in, in which we all know that's the language of love is, is a good stake to me uh, so I appreciate you sharing your love during a very difficult time last question post pandemic you and your family have probably more experience uh, in the dining at home eating out delivery shipment business than anyone else in our country uh, what are your expectations in that realm of dining at home, eating out and, and delivery? So one of the things that we saw during the pandemic, uh, and I think you mentioned it in your lead into the question, is that um, many families either discovered or rediscovered the joy of cooking at home with their family. And I know that that was true for me because I was able to get my kids involved in grilling, as an example. Um, which they hadn't really taken much of an interest before, but there wasn't that much else to do. And so, you know, they were, they were willing to engage with their dad, you know, on, on how to cook a steak. And that was really fun. And so um, I believe that what we're going to see uh, going forward, and we've already got some indications of this from some research we've done, is that, um, is that consumers are going to continue to cook at home. Uh, they're going to start expanding uh, the footprint and having larger gatherings. Um, while some consumers are anxious to get out, myself included, um, they're going to be they're going to be getting out, um, but they're also going to be entertaining at home, maybe for larger groups. Um, because even now, when you get out, um, you know you can't. It's hard to show up at a restaurant with eight or ten people, you know, and have a really great experience. Uh, but that's really easy to to do at home. Uh, it's very controlled. It's really fun, and and people learn during the pandemic that there's a lot that's super convenient about being home. You don't have to get ready. Um, you've already got the Omaha steaks in your freezer. Um, you've got a grill, you know, your friends can walk over. I mean, all of that stuff sort of, you know, combined makes it makes for a very rewarding experience. The kids can play together and run around and not have to worry about the, the confines of a, of a restaurant. And I think we're also, obviously we're already seeing it 
Um, you know, we are, we are seeing people return to restaurants, which is great. Um, we've got a, a food service business that supplies restaurants as well. So we're excited to see that business come back. Um, and, um, and I think that uh, food delivery is kind of here to stay. I mean, I think one of the things that, you know, I, I don't know the exact numbers, you probably could look them up, but I think that pre-pandemic, the a number of uh, American households that had um, ordered groceries to be delivered at home was in the low single digits. I know that that number has had to have had to have risen into the, you know, into the double digits during the pandemic. And I think people have discovered, like we have at our house, that it's really convenient to have particularly groceries and other food uh, delivered. Now, personally, I think the takeout experience, the delivery of, of cooked food is nowhere near as robust as when I cook food myself at home uh, for a lot of reasons, like soggy French fries being one of them. Um, but I think that, um, but I think that the delivery of groceries um, and the delivery of, of ingredient food like Omaha Steaks is gonna continue to thrive as people have learned how convenient it really is. Yeah, and the customization of food uh, that Omaha Steaks allows you to participate in uh, to fit your own taste with a high quality um, product is extraordinary. And I think as we see the same day delivery and the overnight delivery and delivery itself improve, they're actually making your job easier compared to the 1950s, where I imagine uh, delivering food uh, wasn't quite as simple as it is today. Well, Todd Simon, I certainly appreciate all you have done for me and my family over the years, but especially during the pandemic and my community, both corporate and personally. Uh, as CEO and Chairman of Omaha Steaks, you're doing an extraordinary job. I look forward to doing more with you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making The Playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with The Playbook.